press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Friday, December 16. They're back with yet more tales of anguish. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have dropped another three episodes of their Netflix tell-all. This time, they're complaining the palace created negative stories about the Duchess to protect other members of the royal family. You would just see it play out. Like a story about someone in the family would pop up for a minute and they go, I've got to make that go away. But there's real estate on a website homepage. There is real estate there on a newspaper front cover and something has to be filled in there about someone royal. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has accepted all recommendations from the Shandy Story DNA Lab inquiry, and she's pledged $95 million to rebuild forensic services from the ground up. Professor Lindsay Wilson-Wild has been appointed as the interim CEO, and a new body will be set up in January to provide independent expert oversight. In just a moment, The Front's Kristen Amiot will be joined by our Queensland political reporter, Lydia Lynch, to unpack this big news. Stay with us. Plus, later in the episode, finally some relief on utility bills. But there's a new energy bogeyman. We'll be joined by our energy expert, Perry Williams. How do you solve a problem like a broken DNA lab? In Queensland, it's a new CEO and almost $100 million. Just 48 hours after Commissioner Walter Sofronoff, KC, handed a scathing assessment of Queensland's troubled forensics lab to Anastasia Palaszczuk, along with more than 100 recommendations for how it might be salvaged, the Premier has pledged to do what it takes to restore the public's faith in the state-run facility. We want to ensure transparency and restore confidence in forensic DNA testing in this state. We want to ensure confidence in the criminal justice system for victims and survivors. There is a clear need for reform in the way in which forensic DNA services are indeed delivered. There are 123 recommendations and we are accepting all of them. Lydia Lynch is The Australian's Queensland political reporter and she joins me now. Lydia, you've been covering the inquiry into Queensland's broken DNA lab for months now. Did you expect the Premier to accept all of the recommendations made by Walter Sofronoff? I think she had to. I mean, it was a really comprehensive report, more than 500 pages, but the evidence was so damning. I think the government had no choice but to go ahead and accept all recommendations and not spare any expense to rebuild the lab, which has failed so many people over so many years. Professor Lindsay Wilson-Wild gave evidence at the inquiry. What do we know about her outside of that context and what can she bring to this newly created role? So Professor Wilson-Wild is a really experienced forensic scientist. She actually started out her career in 1996 with Victoria Police as a forensic biologist. So she used to go out two crime scenes to obtain those samples. So she has a really broad knowledge of managing samples right from the start when they're taken from crime scenes right through the laboratory process. She's worked across Australia. Most recently, at the moment, she's the Director of Forensic Services down in South Australia. The reason that's of particular interest is because the South Australian lab is the only lab in Australia which is attached to the 
Department of Attorney General, and that was a key finding uh, from the inquiry, was to remove Queensland's lab out from the Health Department and move it into the Department of Attorney General. That's significant because we heard evidence that for so long there was an attitude within the lab that this was a health issue and, and they didn't really see themselves fitting in to the criminal justice system and, and the effect that their decisions were having on court proceedings. So Mr Sofronoff said moving the lab into the Attorney General's department will be much better for the way it fits in to the criminal justice system. And we heard at the top that a new independent body will be created to provide oversight and ensure the scientific integrity of the new lab structure. What do we know about that? So the new body will be employing 41 staff. There'll be permanent staff plus about another 20 temporary staff. And It'll have a number of boards sitting underneath it, but really its job will be to provide that independent and expert oversight to ensure scientific integrity because during the inquiry we heard that when scientists had complaints, they were taking them up to bureaucrats that didn't actually understand DNA science, so there was nobody really to double-check or oversee the work, even the scientific accreditation board that was coming in and giving the lab its accreditation wasn't really looking through a lot of these deep issues. So this new body will allow for better criticism and oversight of the scientific processes in the lab. Also in line with the recommendations, a new scientific advisory committee will be immediately established to provide expert advice. By investing in this reform process to bolster our forensic DNA services, we have the opportunity, like Walsh Sofronov said the other day, to become a world leader in forensic DNA services. In addition to this being a scientific catastrophe, it's also a political scandal in Queensland. The government might have dodged a bullet by acting quickly now that the report has been handed down and by throwing a significant amount of money at the problem. How does that play for the Palaszczuk government when ministers have resigned over far less in scandals like this in the past? So the final report really cleared senior government ministers and the Premier of any wrongdoing they found. Cathy Allen, as the managing scientist, was lying to her superiors briefing up false information up that public service chain of command. So really the minister was hoodwinked, both the health minister and the police minister. Why wasn't a more proactive approach taken when Kirsty Wright was raising all these issues back in November? Why was there not greater scrutiny? But Mr Sofronoff found that, you know, they were trusting the advice from the experts in the department, so they weren't to blame, I guess. Dr Wright was raising these concerns for months. She was joined by victims of crimes, by lawyers, by other scientific experts calling for a review of this lab and the government repeatedly ignored those pleas. And I mean, it's not like Dr Wright was an average Joe off the street. She used to be the head of the National DNA Database. She's a really experienced scientist and they just ignored and dismissed her warnings and her pleas for an independent review into the lab for months. So that was really disappointing from the government. Thankfully, they finally woke up to it and announced the Commission of Inquiry in June after so many months of lobbying by Dr Wright and and by Shandy's family, by Vicky and Shana. But ultimately, the government was found not to have had any wrongdoing. They were lied to by Cathy Allen in the lab. 
Queensland Attorney General Shannon Fentiman also announced a review into double jeopardy law in Queensland off the back of Walter Sofronoff's findings. Most people would probably associate double jeopardy with murder trials. Why is it significant in light of the inquiry's findings? So at the moment in Queensland, if you have been tried for, say, rape and you've been acquitted, even if there's new DNA evidence, you actually can't be retried because of double jeopardy laws. There's one exception to that law, which is only in murder offences. So if you have been tried for a murder and acquitted, if there's fresh and compelling evidence, you actually can be retried. In most other jurisdictions in Australia, do expand that exception to other serious offences like rapes or child sexual abuse. But in Queensland, it's only just for murder. In Queensland, the fresh and compelling exception to double jeopardy only applies to the offence of murder. I want Queensland to join with most other jurisdictions and expand the exception to other serious offences as well. So the reason why this is so significant is that once they go back and retest all those samples, which they're now doing, that the lab had shelved for years, if those DNA samples come back and could prove that acquitted offenders actually did commit the offence, they can be retried. So the Attorney General is likely to introduce legislation sometime next year. Lydia Lynch is the Australian's Queensland political reporter. She was speaking to the front's Kristen Amiot. Coming up, energy relief is on the way, but there's a twist. You might have to get rid of your gas appliances. That's after the break. I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, the federal government's energy market package has passed the lower house of parliament. Within the package is a deal Labor made with the Greens to offer incentives to Australians to switch from gas to electricity. Opposition leader Peter Dutton's called it a catastrophic plan. It is a disaster and this is just the first instalment. This is what worries me most. We've got a transition that's taking place, but they're turning the old system off before the new system is built. Perry Williams is the Australian's senior business writer and our specialist on energy and gas, so we've asked him to explain what's going on. Perry, once upon a time, natural gas was the clean alternative to electricity. What's happened? It's been a little while in the making that we're starting to see this really big push away from gas and, as you said, towards the sort of electrification, if you will, of the energy system. Now, what we've traditionally been told is that coal is sort of by far the worst in terms of its pollution and Gas is seen as this transition fuel, but there's a growing feeling, I think, that gas is still going to be around for a couple of decades yet. Obviously, Australia being 
a giant gas producer and we're seeing parties like the Greens saying, no, that status quo isn't good enough. We now need to make a break with gas, particularly in states like Victoria, that you know, which are really heavily dependent on it. Is the problem that the Greens have with gas about the extraction of it, Perry, the fact that it involves drilling and mining, or is it the emissions that gas creates when it's used? I think it's a little bit of both. The Greens have been very vocal. They don't want any new coal or gas fields opened up. Producers, on the other hand, say, hang on, we've got all this demand to meet. We do need to keep going. So, yeah, that is uh, one beef which the Greens have. And I think more broadly, they're just worried about that sort of emissions profile if you look out over the next decade or so. They're not out alone here. The Victorian government has been pushing for electrification as well. So uh, there is sort of a general push. And do we know, Perry, what this means for the physical assets within households? You know, I have a gas stove, there's a gas heater. Are the transition costs that we're talking about the cost of me going out and buying a new stove and a new heater? At a state level, government's going to have to step in and provide some sort of compensation package or incentive to help households make the switch. Obviously, it's already starting to happen, but it's not a particularly cheap process. We've seen some sort of eye-watering numbers, including by uh, actually Mike Cannon-Brooks when he talked about the electrification of AGL Energy earlier in the year, and it was sort of in the tens of thousands of dollars to electrify an entire household. So that's what remains to be worked through is what's the detail on this? How much is it going to cost and who's going to sort of foot the bill? So what about our bills, Perry? Is any of this going to actually bring bills down? The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has put out targets saying if they didn't take these actions, the average family would be $230 worse off next year. I guess the bad news is no one's expecting much relief in terms of the medium term price projections over the next couple of years. So certainly, you know, we're expecting things to soften a little bit. But if we go beyond that into 2024 and 2025, most of the experts in the market think prices are going to remain pretty high. So a little bit of short-term relief, but yeah, it might only be for uh, 12 months. Thanks for joining us on The Front. Our music is by Jasper Leake. Our editors are Tiffany Dimack and Josh Burton. Our producers are Kristen Amiot and Harim Khan. And our multimedia editor is Leah Tamaglu. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.